Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome to God's Word for Life. This is episode number 24. This is a lesson companion podcast, so for those of you who are Word of Flame curriculum customers, we invite you to grab your Living Word student workbook or lesson manual and turn to lesson number five intended for October 4th, 2020, the lesson entitled Chiefest of Sinners. For those of you who are not Word of Flame curriculum customers, we invite you to grab your Bible, sit back, and let's dive into God's Word together. Well, before we look into the scriptures and see how we can apply these this text to our lives this week, I wanted to share something with you. I don't know if you've heard of this man before, but it's a man that some have called the most evil man in the world. He's been dubbed that by certain people, and his name, his real name is Joshua Milton Belayi. But his victims and his soldiers know him by a different derogatory name that won't share over this podcast. And by his own admission, he slaughtered at least 20,000 civilians during a civil war in Africa. In his memoir, he described one of his worst acts. In this, he killed a little child by, quote, opening the little girl's back and plucking out her heart. Her blood was still on his hands when he heard a voice Belai turned around and saw a man standing there brighter than the sun who said, Repent and live or refuse and die. Belai could not escape the passion or the pull of those words. He left fighting and began sleeping on a church pew as he wrestled with those words. The pastor gathered his congregation and prayed for God to strip Joshua Milton Belai of his demonic powers, and God did. One pastor reported, he said this, he said, Not since the conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus have I ever heard a conversion story so compelling. And since that day, he has combed the villages for his victims to apologize for his cruelty and beg their forgiveness. Saul of Tarsus was his generation's Joshua Milton Bly. He terrorized Christians, but Jesus got his attention. And Saul repented was born again, and lived his life to glorify Jesus. Little wonder he called himself the chief of sinners. But since God forgave Saul, the chief of sinners, and Joshua Milton Bly, the most evil man in the world, he can forgive us. What an incredible story, and that's just a bit, little bits and pieces of it. You can read more about his story online. But the very fact that God saved that man and saved a man like Saul of Tarsus. Forgive both of them. He can forgive us too. Why don't you turn with me, if you would, two different passages, Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 58, and 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, and let's see what God's Word would say to us today. All right, let's look at our text today, Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 58. 
And then 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. Acts 7, verse 54 says this, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And if you'd look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, and verse 15 is our focus verse, and it reads, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, to life everlasting. And the title of this lesson is Chiefest of Sinners. Our focus thought is we have all sinned and are in need of God's grace and mercy. In Acts chapter 7, we read the last few verses of that chapter, towards the end of that chapter. What you're going to find if you read the entire chapter, you're going to see this man named Stephen, who the chapter before, chapter 6, he was one of seven men that the apostles appointed to serve the widows, to serve them food, to take care of them, to meet their needs, uh, while the apostles focused on prayer and the ministry of the word. Stephen was one of those men and described as being full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom and of power. And this Stephen somehow grew beyond serving the widows, though that was his call. That was his call. The apostles uh, put upon him and asked him to serve. But, but Stephen began to also become one who not only served the widows and did his uh, job there, but he became one that began to proclaim Jesus. And we find him preaching in Acts chapter 7. And he's standing before these Jewish people, and he is preaching to them about Jesus and beginning to show them in the Old Testament how everything pointed to Jesus and how the people in the Old Testament hardened their hearts when God would try to move in their lives and then turned, the, turned it around on his audience there in Acts 7 and said how they had hardened their hearts and had rejected Jesus. And, and we find ourselves at the end of that chapter where they were angry at this man named Stephen. They were angry at him, and they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They, they were cut to the heart, so they felt conviction. They felt, they felt that, but instead of responding in a way, the people responded in Acts 2 when they were convicted. These didn't respond in repentance and humility. Instead, they responded in anger and did what they could to kill Stephen, and we're introduced at the end of this chapter to a young man named Saul, who later became more known as Paul. And Saul, later on being Paul, was the young man who consented unto Stephen's death. He is the one that held the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. 
Saul was, this was the beginning of Saul's, well, his evil acts, his acts that began to persecute Christians and destroy Christians and kill Christians, and Saul was all in the middle of it. I want want to ask you a question thinking about this. Is there a situation you can imagine that would make it difficult or near impossible to forgive someone? Is there a situation you can think of, and maybe there's one that's happened in your life, but is there a situation you can think of where somebody could do something and you would find it near impossible to forgive them? I mean, we're talking here about a man named Saul, later became Paul, who killed Christians in cold blood. Maybe he didn't do it with his own hands. We don't find that they necessarily did it with his own hands, but he had people doing it for him. He was involved in killing Christians and persecuting people that did not deserve it. Or think about this Blythe guy, uh, man from uh, the, the story we told at the very beginning who murdered thousands upon thousands of people in his most heinous act, talking about how he murdered a child. I think we all could probably think of somebody or some situation where it would be near impossible to forgive. Yet Jesus Christ forgave this man that we heard about at the beginning of our lesson today, the beginning of our podcast. And Jesus Christ forgave Saul, later became Paul. And all of us have committed sin. And there are some of us listening today that have been involved in some things that we are not proud of. But we found a place of repentance and a place of forgiveness. So we are called to also extend forgiveness. When you look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Why do you think Paul, what do you think he meant by saying he was the chiefest of sinners? What do you think he meant when he said he was the chiefest of sinners? Was he? Was he the one that had sinned more than anybody in the entire world up until that point? Perhaps, but probably not. There were probably more ruthless characters that had lived. There were probably more um, evil characters that had lived than Saul. But Saul saw himself as the chiefest of sinners. And I think all of us come to a point when we come to a place of conviction and a place of true humility and coming before God to ask forgiveness that I think there ought to be a realization and an awakening in all of our lives that we feel like we're the chiefest of sinners. I I, I think of times in my life when done things wrong, and I would go to the Lord and pray, and in me, and my own life, my own mind, my own heart, I see myself as, why, God, would you forgive me? I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that again. 
How could you even forgive me, God? And I think we can identify there with Paul's expression that I'm the chiefest of sinners. Sure, Paul did some horrible, horrific things, but there was probably somebody worse. And you, listening today, you've probably done some things that you're ashamed of, but I'm sure there's probably somebody worse. But true humility and true repentance comes when we recognize and we see ourselves as chiefest of sinners. We can't approach God and ask forgiveness, saying, oh, God, please forgive me, but I know there's people that have done a bunch of worse things worse than me, so you can forgive me, right? That's not the attitude you go before God. I think Paul's showing us the proper attitude. I'm the chiefest of sinners. I, I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his mercy. Nobody else is on the table here. Nobody else is being talked about here. Nobody else is, is in this conversation. God, it's just me and you, and I'm the chiefest of sinners. I, I need your mercy, but I don't I I don't deserve it. I need your grace. I need forgiveness, but I don't deserve it. And I think all of us, in a place of humility and repentance, should have that realization, should have that feeling. If we're really sincere about our sins and wanting to be right, I think Paul shows us we ought to feel like we are chiefest of sinners. And then he goes on in verse 16. He says, How be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So in this verse, why did Paul obtain mercy then? It's the third and final question today. I want to ask, why did Paul obtain mercy? Was it because he deserved it? Was it because he earned it? Was it because it was just his turn to have mercy? Was it because he he, he, he earned it by doing some great feat or, or he did it by earning God's favor in some way? No, that's not what he says. That's not what he writes. He says, Timothy, here's why I obtain mercy. I obtain mercy that first of all, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. I first obtained mercy because Jesus was long-suffering to me. He put up with me. He watched me in every mistake I made. He stood there in every decision that I made that disappointed him. He was long-suffering. And I'm thankful that the Apostle Peter tells us that the Lord is long-suffering to all of us, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul said, first of all, Timothy, this is why I obtained mercy, because Jesus was long-suffering to me. And then secondly, it was a pattern to show others who have not yet received forgiveness that he will forgive them too and give them eternal life. So you have obtained mercy. You listening to me today, me, the one speaking, I, we have obtained mercy because Jesus Christ was long-suffering to us. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. He just stood by waiting in line until we were done sinning. And we turned our lives to him. He was long suffering. That's one reason that we obtain mercy and forgiveness is because he was long suffering. But it was also 
so that our life could be a testimony to somebody else that when they look at us and they say, well, if he forgave Jonathan McClintock, then surely he can forgive me. If he forgave, put your name in the blank there. If he forgave you, then surely that coworker that's near you, surely that lost neighbor that's by you, surely that lost loved one, surely he would forgive them too. Here's a couple things I challenge you to do this week. First of all, search your heart. Is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there anyone that you need to extend forgiveness to? If God forgave us of our sin, if God forgave us of the mistakes that we've made, then who are we to hold back forgiveness to somebody else? They might be the most evil man or the most evil woman in the world, but still we have no right to hold back forgiveness. That doesn't mean that every situation is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to extend forgiveness. There will be times I've, I, I've you've, you've heard stories, I've heard stories of people on death row and families of the victims have stood and looked them in the face and extended forgiveness. It wasn't something they were willing to do or even able or capable of doing when the crime was committed. But over time, over the process, there was something that worked in their heart. God worked on their heart, and they were able to look at that individual that hurt them and were able to extend forgiveness. And surely if they can, surely we can too. So is there anyone you need to forgive this week? It's time to pray, to ask God to help you and begin extending forgiveness. And then secondly, is there anything you need to repent of this week? Is there anything you're holding back? Is there anything that you've got inside of you that you need to just let go and ask God for his grace and ask God for his mercy and let God forgive you of those sins? He wants to give you mercy. You can obtain mercy because he's been long-suffering to you and is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your great mercy and your great grace. We do not deserve any forgiveness. We do not deserve grace. We do not deserve mercy. But because you have been long-suffering to us, you have stood beside us, you have watched us in our failings, you have watched us in our sins, and you've stood there beside us wanting to extend grace and wanting to extend mercy to us. And yet all the while we turn our hearts, we run from you. But oh God, here right now, we want to say thank you for your long suffering. We release the sin in our life. We pray you'd forgive. You'd cover us, Lord, that you'd remove this sin from our lives. You'd take it away. Let us be forgiving and gracious toward others. Let us live a life that is, extends grace and mercy to other people. Let us never hold it back, but let us be givers of mercy and grace. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.